0: And we will get to the reading of God's Word in just a minute. Um, First, I want to tell you a brief story about the time that I proposed to my wife. Um, I hope I get the details right. Um, Yeah, I'm getting the the eyeball there. So um, we were in college, and um, I knew that I loved her, and so I figured I might as well do right by it and ask her to marry me. Um, And our our college had a tradition in the 60s that had since kind of died away. And I don't like to do anything without a flourish, a bang, a something exciting. So I thought I would revive that old tradition. And uh, and it was we had this fountain in the front, probably a huge lawn, and this fountain in front of the building. And it was called Fortuna Fountain. And Fortuna is the Greek goddess of fertility, as I understood. Um, so uh, so I, okay, so just I say that because you need to understand the tradition of the engagement. Um, the old tradition in the 60s was that you would um, – stand around Fortuna Fountain and uh, all the girls would stand around Fortuna Fountain and they'd uh, light candles and they'd all hold candles or some sort of song they sang. Um, and the girl that blew out her candle was the one who was announcing her engagement to all of her friends. So there's just kind of this little um, girl-related um, sorority kind of fun girl thing, okay? Well, I thought I'm going to hijack that and uh, I'm going to bring it back into the modern era. And so I created these girly invitations... Um, and sent them out to all of Shelly's friends, Shelly included, and, uh, and I had her friends in on it. And they all showed up one night, not knowing, not knowing, who was getting, uh, who was announcing their engagement. And so all the girls are standing around Fortuna Fountain in the dark at night, and uh, they all have their candle, and they're passing the light, and all, the, and they're all standing there, waiting for the girl to blow out their candle now they all know that no one's going to blow out their candle except shelly she had no idea that no one was going to blow out their candle uh, and uh and i'm in the building and uh, my best friend is uh, a guy named ray fox He's just he's about four times my size and um great man and he put his hands on my shoulders and i was about to walk out into this circle of girls in the dark with the ring and propose and and I said, I'm a little nervous, and he, he puts his hands and full weight down on my shoulders, and he goes, you should be. She'll say no. And then he,
1: <laughs> right? Uh,
0: good friends, right? And then, and then he pushed me out into the, into the walkway, and I walked this path um, up to the, um, the, the girls. And now, Shelly's vision's not the greatest, especially in the dark, so she didn't know what was going on. So the girls kind of parted, and I come down and get down on one knee and I propose, and you know the girls are crying and doing all the girl things that they do. Um, and I blow Shelly's candle out, and I ask her for her hand, and she hands me the wrong hand, and no, 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 the other hand, and she hands me the same. No, give me the other hand. So I take the hand, we put the ring on her. It's all celebratory, okay? And so um, she said yes, right? That's the idea. When you propose. They say yes, and then you rejoice, and then you get thrown in the fountain, and you take Ray with you, and it's a whole big thing that goes on. It's very celebratory. She said yes. But what if she had said, um, let me think about it. Let me get back to you about that. I mean, I had planned, you know, and that was my fear, especially since Ray had said, she'll say no, you know, Uh, and it's all going in your your head. Is she going to say yes? Does she really love you the way you love her? Is this going to happen? But she said yes, which is good. The story we're going to read today, um, there's a proposal and then there's a no answer. And it's not exactly kind of the ideal situation when you propose. Before we get to that story, let's review the story for those of you who have not been with us on this journey. We've been studying the Book of Ruth for the past couple of weeks, and I want to just really briefly uh, review the story via our uh, this modern flannel graph, if you will. Okay, Elimelech was a man who had a family. Who, during famine, moved from uh, God's promised land, Bethlehem, to Moab, a pagan nation, so that he could provide for his family food. While they were there, Elimelech died and left a widow to raise two boys. They grew up, they married pagan Moabite girls, and then the two boys died. So now we've got Naomi and two daughter in laws, okay, um, and no boys to provide for them. So um, they then decide at some point, Naomi says, I've had enough of this deathland, Moab. I'm going back to Bethlehem because I hear there's a rumor of bread. So um, all three widows start to journey together towards Bethlehem, but Naomi says, there's nothing good for you in Bethlehem. Don't come back with me. My people aren't going to receive you. You can't get married. You're pagan Moabite girls. You just need to stay. And Orpah, one of the daughters, says, I love you, Naomi. And she goes back to Moab. Ruth uses this deep covenant language and says, wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She joined with uh, Naomi in a very deep way and said, I'm going to go to Bethlehem with you. And I'm going to become like you are. And so Naomi and um, Ruth moved on to Bethlehem. But back in Bethlehem, these two widowed women are still in a bad place, right? Because they don't have a husband to provide for them. And that day you needed a man to provide to work. So, um, Ruth goes out to um, a field and starts to glean uh, of the leftover drippings that the people had left behind. She was demonstrating her love for Naomi, and Naomi's got working very hard to glean food from this field. And the field belonged to an honorable man named Boaz. Boaz was super kind to Naomi and Ruth, even though he didn't need to be. See, the law gave him every reason to run Naomi and Ruth off, because the law said, if you've abandoned God, and you've run off to a pagan land, and then you come back, from you ten generations down, no touchy by the kingdom of Israel, you don't get to help them, love them, serve them, embrace them in family. Ten generations and so he didn't have any obligation to be nice to Ruth or Naomi, but instead he said, listen, I can see they're in a tough place. I'm going to provide um, a loving, safe place for her to glean food, and I'm going to give you a little bit extra. Now Ruth takes that little bit extra back to Naomi, and Naomi says, oh, I know this name, Boaz. He's a He's a relative of Elimelech he's a potential redeemer under the law he can buy the land that Elimelech had for me and he can give us cash for it and then he will keep the land and work it and earn profit for himself but then in the year of jubilee we can get our land back and this will be good so last week we left off this family Ruth and Naomi with Ruth faithfully working the hardest of barley and wheat for the sake of Naomi and the family so this is what we're going to pick up Um, And we're going to see how a midnight proposal has an ability to change lives. Um, If you would stand with me for the reading of the word, Ruth chapter 3. Lord, we ask you to bless the reading of your word this morning. As we hear about a proposal and risking a lot of stuff to seek redemption, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves a little bit like Ruth today wanting to risk everything to seek the redemption that you are providing for us lord i pray that as we hear your words they would fall softly on our hearts they would encourage us and spur us on to action we pray this in your name amen with chapter three then naomi our mother-in-law said to her my daughter should i not seek rest for you that it would go well with you is boaz not a relative with whom the young women you were working with see he's He's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, so wash up and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lay down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and had some to drink and his heart was merry, he went to lay down at the end of a heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. And at midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. So now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. So remain tonight here, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, But a rose before anyone could recognize another person, and he said, let it be known that no woman came to the threshing floor. And he said to Ruth, bring the garment you're wearing, hold it out. She held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city. When he came or when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "How did you fare, my daughter?" And then she told her all that the man had done for her saying these six measures of barley he gave to me for he said, "You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law." Naomi replied, "Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. This man will not rest but will settle settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord you may be seated." Um so Their life wasn't great, okay, Naomi and Ruth, but they weren't starving because Naomi had Ruth gleaning in the fields with the generosity of Boaz. But let's be honest, harvest season only lasts for a certain period of the year, right? So you can only glean food when you're poor and hungry for a certain period of the year, and we've read that the barley and the wheat harvest was over. And so now Naomi, she's sitting here and she's looking ahead. She's been through enough seasons to know things change and there's a time for everything and the harvest is over. And now what? Now what are we going to do? Naomi looked ahead and saw things are going to get rough again and nothing has changed in the long run to fix their situation. So she looks at the circumstances thus far and she goes, well, we're here and we've been working in Boaz's field and Boaz has been kind to us. And well, Naomi thought there would never be a redeemer for Ruth. That's why she told Ruth, don't come back to Jerusalem because there's no redeemer for us here. You can't, 10 generations, we're untouchable. There's no hope for you or for me, but it seems as Naomi's putting the dots together, perhaps Perhaps God has blessed them in this way with Boaz, who may come, may become a provider and a redeemer. So she says to, um, she says to Ruth, she says, listen, I desire to find rest for you. And the word rest doesn't mean like lay down on the couch and stop working. The term rest here meant, um, I want something, a future for you so that you don't have to work so hard the rest of your life, so that your fears of a future with no family and hard work and no husband and no peace and no hope, I want you to put that to rest. I want you to have a peaceable future. I want that you don't have to live harvest to harvest, needy moment to needy moment for the rest of your life. Now, Boaz is our relative, is what she says. He's a relative of a limelad, so technically he's my relative, not your relative. But, hey, you're kind of my daughter-in-law, so we're going to roll with this. He's our relative, and he's been really kind to you. Maybe, maybe just maybe he's taken an interest in you. So I think perhaps God's at work here, and I think we should see what we can do if we can push the door open. So here's what I want you to do wash up, okay? You've been working hard all season. We don't shower all that often in this day and age. So, you know, wash up and anoint yourself and put your cloak on, okay? And I want you to go down and see where he beds down for the night, okay? He's going to sleep at the threshing floor because he's got the huge piles of grain and he wants to guard it. That's where he's going to stay. So go down there and after he's asleep, sneak up to him and uncover his feet and then lay down next to him. And when he wakes up, I want you to do whatever he tells you to do. Now, that sounds a little risky to me. It sounds a little weird. Um, It sounds weird and risky, and it sounds risky and weird back then. And it sounds risky and weird now. I would never tell my daughter, you know that guy that has expressed some interest in you? I want you to go find where he's sleeping and sneak into his house and uncover his feet, and then lay down and wait for him to wake up and tell you what to do. Like, in no way would I ever tell my daughter to do something. Like, that just sounds weird. And it puts her in a position that I wouldn't want her to be in. But Naomi is saying, listen, I think God is at work here, and so we're going to try something. Now, what we need to know about this day and age is it was very common at this point in time in history for prostitutes to visit the harvest field at night. Under the cover of darkness, while the workers were sleeping on the threshing floor, they would come, and they would put on this special cloak that was brightly ordained, and so people would know. It was kind of like, you know, their calling card. You would know who they were by the cloak that they wore, and they would crawl up up next to the men who were sleeping who would then employ them, as it were, for the evening. So here's a godly mother-in-law, sending her young, godly, faithful daughter-in-law out in a seemingly weird way when all of the other prostitutes are roaming about for the evening. But Naomi is not sending her to be a prostitute. Instead, she sees this beautiful opportunity to act within the bounds of the law of Moses and to have Boaz recognize a greater need than just food for Ruth and provide according to the law of redemption. And we need to realize that in all of this story, as weird and as odd as it looks to us, never was there anything inappropriate. There was no inappropriate conduct on Naomi or Ruth's part, nor on Boaz's part later. Everyone in this story acts within the bounds of God's law, does so honorably and above reproach. And we need to keep that in mind as we read this story, because people will read this story and interpret it in various ways that imply all kinds of unworthy things happen. And what we know about Boaz's character, Naomi's character and Ruth's character as presented by the living word of God, which does not lie is they are continually described as worthy, honorable, righteous, godly people. So we need to know that as we read this story, there is no inappropriate thing going on, though it looks odd. It is above reproach. Um, so Ruth does exactly what Naomi says to do because she made a covenant faithfulness uh, moment with Naomi and says, what you, where you go, I go, and where you stay, I stay, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and whatever you say, I will do, is kind of how it follows. So Ruth does exactly what Naomi says to do. She creeped, I don't know how this is, she, she went out under the cover of darkness, and she went to the threshing floor area. And she watched Boaz at the end of the day have a meal, have something to drink, and then fall down asleep next to this pile of grain. And so then she crept up to the threshing floor and uncovered his feet and then lay down next to him. Now, harvest at this time of year was warm. It was August-ish. So we're talking warm Middle Eastern summer, okay? Okay. But as the night wears on, that warm breeze that they would use to separate the wheat from the chaff on the threshing floor would change from warm to cool. And so what we believe happened is with the feet uncovered, he woke up with cold feet. And it startled him awake, and so he shuffled around, and he was getting his blanket back to where it was going. And in this shuffle to recover himself and get warm feet, he realized, there's someone next to me. There's someone on the threshing floor next to me. I can hear the breathing I can just, you know, you're just, when you're in the dark and you can sense that there's someone near you. Um, and so Boaz had that moment and he was startled and it's black, no lights, right? so he like you flip a light switch on. Okay. this black. He calls out, who's there? Because he wants to know, is it a robber? Um, is it a servant that has come to take care of something? Is it a prostitute who has snuck up into his threshing floor in the middle of the night? Who is here with him? calls out who's there, and at this moment, Ruth is completely vulnerable. She is absolutely vulnerable before Boaz. Boaz could wake up, mistake her for a prostitute, and attempt to act on that mistaken identity. He could see Ruth as attempting to act the part of a prostitute, but because he's noble and honorable and worthy, he could say, "Shoo, away with you, because he's an honorable man, and he wouldn't have anything to do with her anymore after she pulled a stunt like that. Or thirdly, he could recognize the true meaning of her actions and respond accordingly. But in that moment when he calls out, who's there? I imagine Ruth's heart is just, because what's going to happen and what's he going to do and what am I supposed to say? Um, I am just waiting because her job was to go there and do whatever he said. But he didn't tell her to do anything. He just says, who's there? So Ruth responds, it's your servant, Ruth. Hi. (laughs) Uh, You know? um, And we read this in the English language, and we hear the word servant, and we don't think anything about it. Um, She is using a term associated with Hebrew servants, with Jewish people, okay? She isn't saying, Hi, I'm Ruth. I'm the widowed Moabite, former pagan girl, who now lives with Naomi. She's saying, Hi, I'm Ruth. I'm not who I was. When I arrived here, I am now somebody different. I am a God-fearer servant. That's the kind of language she's using. She's saying, listen, I follow God. I follow his rules. I know you do too. Because of that, I'm your servant and God's servant. And so he notices it is indeed Ruth. And confused about her presence, she, he wonders, why is she here? In the middle of the night at this hour. And so he lights a lamp, I'm assuming, and they start to have this conversation. Now, when he lights the lamp, I'm assuming he notices that she is dressed in a cloak. Um, Scripture tells us that Naomi told her to put her cloak on. Prostitutes wore a brightly colored cloak, poor servants wore a raggedy old cloak. They're not trying to oppress anybody. They're not trying to get up any business, okay? They're just wearing the cloak that keeps them warm, okay? And so as he realized, Ruth says, I am your servant. I'm a God-fearing servant. And she is not wearing a brightly colored prostitute's cloak. He realizes, oh, she is of honorable intent right now. Just as she always has been, she is a worthy woman. She's not trying to do anything inappropriate here. She's just saying, you serve God, I serve God. There needs to be something going on here. And this is the unique part of this story. This is when Ruth departs from Naomi's counsel. Naomi said explicitly, when he wakes up, do whatever he says. Well, She's fulfilled that part by answering his question. And now she verges on her own path. And she says this, spread your wings over your servant and redeem me. That's some forward language for a young lady alone at night on the threshing floor with a wealthy uh, Hebrew man. Now this word um, wing was used to uh, give the idea, obviously, of a bird wing, right? Because that's what we think of when we think of wing. But the term is also used to describe the corner of a blanket, Okay? Or the hem of a cloak. So what she's basically saying is, um, cover me up with your blanket. Okay? Cover me up with your, with your cloak. Extend that over me. Um, this specific term of wing was, um, was used specifically as an emblem of rank or authority. Kind of like you would see stripes on an admiral's coat or a captain's coat in the military. And you say, oh, they have a specific rank because of their stripes. The word wing uh, meant uh, the hem on the garment, and it was a specific type of hem that showed a specific rank or authority, okay? So what she's saying um, is, I want you to spread your authority over me. This, um, This term wing is interesting. You see it in two other places. When David was in the cave and cut the little corner off of Saul's cloak, it was this same term. When uh, Jesus is walking through town and the woman with the bleeding issue touched the cloak, the hem of his cloak, and he said, I felt the power. Who was that that touched me? It was the same word for hem, for wing, because associated with that comes the idea of. A king or authority and power and so when she's using this language she's using very specific language she is telling Boaz that she wants him to extend the authority of his house over her he to invoke the right of the law of Israel for him to take her as his wife she's saying Boaz bring me into your family Extend your authority as husband over me. Let me be your servant as a wife. Marry me, Boaz. Okay? That's kind of what she's getting at. She is challenging Boaz through this marriage proposal to be the answer to his own prayer of blessing over her. Do you remember in Ruth chapter 2 last week, he prayed that the Lord would reward her hard work, that her wages would be full from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings she sought refuge. Same word wing, authority over. So he's saying, listen, you've sought authority under God's house, so may you continue to find that. That was the blessing. And so what she's basically saying is, I'm going to use your same verbiage in my proposal to you. You prayed it over me, so do something about it. You prayed it over me, Make it right. You have the ability to fix this. Be the one who spreads the wings over me. So we have this idea that a servant, widow, Moabite girl is making a marriage request at midnight in the bedroom, as it were, of a wealthy, respected, rich, honorable Israelite man. That just didn't, I mean, that just didn't happen in that day and age. Women didn't propose to men. They didn't go out after dark to single men's dwellings. This just didn't happen. But here's why she did it. She was in desperate need of redemption. She was in absolute desperate need for redemption. And God had opened a door, opened a path for her that she could walk on in faith before the law, doing everything righteous, just like Naomi said, I hear rumors of bread in Bethlehem, and I'm going to set my face that direction and walk, and hopefully God's got something for me there. Ruth says this opportunity as one that she can set her face towards and walk. He prayed a blessing over her. He is a, according to the law, potential redeemer. Therefore, why not ask him to redeem her? It's the most logical and honorable step. So then Boaz responded with a blessing for her. He affirmed with her that he would keep her safe. Like that would be paramount for her in that moment being so vulnerable. He said, listen, you are safe with me. Okay, I'm not going to take advantage of you here on the threshing floor. I'm not going to scorn you or think ill of you because I can see you're a worthy woman. And you are in desperate need of a redeemer. I see your honesty, your humility, your vulnerability. I love that you have been faithful to take care of Naomi. And that kindness that you have done and worked so hard to do is now outdone, as if that could even be possible. It's now outdone by your faithfulness to God. You could have sought a man your age. A man you were in love with and you Twitter paid it over and you could have sought someone just like you, but instead you chose to submit to God and his laws and his ways and you've pursued a redeemer. You've done the righteous thing. So don't fear with me. It's true. I am a redeemer. And I imagine at that point, Ruth's heart is, oh, good. Okay, he's going to say, yes, we're going to get married. My life is going to be good. And then he says, But, nobody likes that in a sentence, right? If I propose to show, you, she goes, oh, man, you're great. You know, I love the times that we've hung out. We've had a good long run together, but. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, your stomach just goes, you know. No, she didn't, okay. Um, But that's kind of what Boaz is doing here. Listen, don't fear. I'm a redeemer. But I'm not the closest redeemer, so I, I technically can't say yes to you right now. So when it came to redemption, according to the law, the Redeemer had to meet three criteria. They had to be qualified, they had to be willing, and they had to be able, okay? So redemption wasn't something that you were forced into. You had to be qualified, first of all. Then you had to be willing and able to fulfill the redemption. Um, there was an order of redeemers as well. Brother, uncle, cousin, then close relative. So to be qualified, you had to be the closest redeemer, the brother. Okay. If there was no brother, then you'd go to the uncle. If there was no uncle, you'd go to cousin, so forth and so on, down to the relatives. So you had to be qualified and willing and able. And Boaz says, listen... Um, I'm not qualified right now. I'm not the top redeemer. See, redemption is about property rights, not about marriage. And so often it was tied to the marriage of the widow who came with the property because she was selling the property and the redeemer would redeem the property and the woman who came with it, therefore creating the Leverite marriage covenant, which says, I will Um, marry the widow, and the children will become offspring of the dead man's family line. So not only is the redeemer getting the property, but they're getting the extra burden of a family member that they have to provide for. And then any children that come from that, some people weren't willing and weren't able to do that. They're like, I don't want anyone digging into my family. Uh, I got children and they get what I have. I don't want to spread out what I have even further. So some people said, I'm not willing, I'm not able. And the first qualification was, are you qualified? And Boaz says, I, I'm not according to the law. I need to do this the righteous way. Listen, I'll tell you what. Let's rest tonight. Don't think about it. let get some sleep. Tomorrow, we're going to see if we can sort this out so that God is honored and you're taken care of. So in the early morning, he commands his servants. He gathers them together, and he says, I love you all, and you need to know nothing happened here tonight. And if I ever hear any of you talking about Ruth in an inappropriate way, it will not go well for you. The tone of his language is very strong. Do not let it be known she was here tonight. Okay? So then he sent them on their way, and he gathered up with Ruth in her cloak uh, six measures of grain that he took to Naomi. The grain was not for Ruth. The grain was for Naomi, because it was Naomi's land. He was redeeming the land from Naomi... But he defended her faithfulness and her value and her honor to his servants, and then he sent this barley grain to Naomi. So Ruth returned and told Naomi everything that occurred. And I imagine Naomi was sitting like on the edge, like at the door. When she come, when she come in, when she come in, and she sees Ruth coming with the grain, and then she goes, "Okay, so." What happened? Like, you send your daughter out in the dark overnight to make a marriage proposal with a man, okay? How'd it go? <laughs> so, are we going to have marriage? Is it wedding balls? What's going on? Um, and Ruth comes back in, and, you know, she's new to the whole Judaism thing, okay? She's new to the whole law. She's learning as she goes. She's faithful to them, but she's not quite sure what's happening here. So she walks in, and she says, listen, I did exactly as you said. I, I proposed, um, and uh, I didn't get an answer. Uh, he basically gave me grain, and said, uh, I'm not qualified, and we have to wait to see how this is going to sort out. And so I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but imagine Ruth's feelings for just a moment. She doesn't really know the law very well about redemption and levirate marriage. She just knows that there was a door open for her to be redeemed. She walked down it faithfully and honorably, and then she didn't get a solid answer. He kind of said no, okay? And that's kind of hurt. I mean, you want to be wanted, right? He's shown favor to her. She had reason to believe he liked her, but she wanted to be wanted, not just property in a transaction. She wanted to be more than something that was just traded because of financial value, but that's how it was. Land was taken for crop value, and the woman was a burden and another mouth to feed. And because she did not get a, yeah, I can't wait to make you my wife" answer, there was probably a little, I'm not, Naomi, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And now I feel even more insecure than I did before because I'm very vulnerable and I asked a very difficult question. He didn't say yes. And so Naomi says, listen, um, honey, you've done all you can do to be faithful. You've walked towards God, the path that he's given you. You've been in accordance with the laws. You can't do anything else at this point. You need to wait. Wait, Ruth. Wait and see. That's how chapter 3 ends. Just leaving Ruth hanging. Is there going to be a wedding? Is there going to be a redemption for her? See, the thing is, the Lord had provided a possible redeemer through the law for Ruth and Naomi. It was a possible redemption. But Boaz had never acted on it. Weed Harvey, Harvest, Barney Harvest had gone by. He knew he was a relative, He knew he was a possible redeemer. Why had he never acted on it? Why had he never gone out and sought the other person and said, I really want to do this transaction. I want to redeem this family. Scripture doesn't tell us. Perhaps it's because he's an honorable man, and he was respecting the other redeemer's right of first redemption. Perhaps he didn't think that she was interested. Not that that would have really mattered. Perhaps he was respecting the fact that she was a mourning widow and was giving her space and time to grieve and become accustomed to a new life. What we do know is at some point along the way, the need for a redeemer became so pressing in Naomi and Ruth's life that it prompted them to take immeasurable risk to find redemption Ruth became vulnerable before Boaz. She put everything on the line because she had so much to gain in redemption. All the chips were on the table to seek redemption from the life that she had known and redemption from the life she was facing if something didn't change. Um, The story we have learned so far is that sometimes life causes us to lament things that have been done to us, choices we have made, just the way the world happens sometimes because we live in a fallen, decaying world. There are things to lament over in our life. But even in our lamenting, we're called to be faithful to God and turn our face towards him and walk and not sin. We are to be motivated by his love rather than our lament. Our lament is to turn us to God rather than keep us in sorrow, But now we see in Luke chapter 3 that it's not just enough to know that we need redemption, but we need to actually actively seek it for ourselves from the one who can provide it. He is not going to force redemption upon us. That's not how it works. Within the bounds of God's loving authority, he offers redemption. But we must recognize our need for it. We must crave it, long for it, seek it, risk everything to pursue it with all that we are and everything we hope to be. We must be willing to invite the Redeemer into our lives. The mess, the chaos, the lamenting situations, the fear, and the vulnerability, and say, God, I invite you to redeem this.
1: I don't know how this is going to work. My life is a
0: mess. I invite you into it. Come sit on the couch of my mess and somehow redeem it. That's what we're saying when we say, God, come and redeem me. It might be for salvation. But if we've been saved and walking with God, it might be for a situation in our life that we cannot tackle on our own. And we must learn to invite the Redeemer to redeem those situations. Otherwise, he's going to stand there and his scripture says, knock. He's going to knock and he's going to knock. And he's just waiting for us to say, come on in. I invite you into my mess to do something with it. But the reality is, some things in our life don't resolve overnight, right?
1: And it doesn't mean that God isn't working. And it doesn't
0: mean that though you've invited him to redeem, that he's not working out of redemption. But like Naomi told Ruth, Wait. Wait and see how this is going to turn out. He will not rest until it is finished, is what Naomi told Ruth. And we can have confidence in the waiting period when we have invited the Redeemer to redeem. In that waiting period between we've invited and it actually gets redeemed. We can have confidence because Scripture tells us that God is actively working. Psalm 121. Indeed. He who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. God does not sleep. He is constantly working redemption out. Lamentations, right? Great book because it's all about lamenting. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That word steadfast love, it's the hesed love that we're learning about in Ruth. That loving kindness that goes above and beyond the call of duty. That steadfast love of the Lord never ceases And his mercies are new when? Every morning. Do you want to know why? Because while you're sleeping, he's working. Okay? So you wake up to something God has been working on all night long for you. His mercies are new every morning. God works while you sleep. He works while you rest. He's working while you are waiting for him to complete the work that he has begun. So this morning, the question remains for us. We've learned we lament. We've learned we need to follow God. But have we actually invited God to redeem specific things in our life for his glory and our well-being? Have we said, God, I've tried to do this on my own for I don't know how long. I can't, I can't anymore. I need you to redeem it. And I'm willing to wait until you've redeemed it in such a way that brings you glory and Me, good, and it will work out in the long run. And in the meantime, I will faithfully walk towards you and not sin. That's what God is calling us to do this morning. This morning, we're just going to close in prayer. And as we do, I want you to do a few things. That one thing that God's put in your mind that you're like, man, I need the redemption from. That's the one you're going to get to talk to him about this morning. Maybe there's three or four. That's okay, too. You can take all of them to him. He's a big boy and can handle everything. Okay? Then ask boldly for that redemption like Ruth did. Spread your wings over me, God. Extend the authority of your reign over my life and in my situations. And then say, God, I'm willing to wait to see how you resolve this. We're going to wait with Ruth for redemption until next week. And then we will see God's plan for Ruth and us fully revealed. But for now, let's pray and ask God to redeem. Lord, um, Scripture gives us the idea, and one of the prophets, Isaiah or Ezekiel, I can't remember right now. One of them saw this vision of you in the throne room. And all he saw was the train of your robe as it filled the temple with glory. And it was just the hem, just the corner of your robe. And that's what we're talking about in Ruth today, God. Just the corner, just the hem signifies all of the authority that you have to rule and to reign over creation which you have made and that includes our lives and the messes that we have in our life. This morning, Lord, we just want to speak to you and ask you, invite you, beg you to please come and redeem those things in our life that we can't fix. Apart from you, we have no hope. And so we hope in you, God, and we wait for you to resolve them for us. And in the meantime, we'll trust you. Because we know you never stop working, you never stop loving, you never stop pursuing us. You're just waiting for us to invite you to participate in our lives. We invite you, Father, to come and live in our hearts, to come and live in our mess, And to grab our hand and help walk us out of it. We give you all the glory, Father, for the things that you're doing. And the things that you will do. And we will wait patiently for you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.